Today's passage this morning is found in John chapter 13. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 13, I'm just going to look at one verse, uh, verse 34. It's also on the screen uh, in front of you, I believe. Yes. Okay. John chapter 13. Looking at one verse, verse 34. It says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Uh, Amen. Amen. This morning, I thought that we can talk about uh, love, and more specifically about God's love for us. Now, some of you might be thinking that this is a little bit too simple, a little bit too rudimentary, that perhaps you've grown up in the church and you knew this truth ever since you were a little kid. I know that for me, uh, this was a truth that I learned as a little child. In fact, one of the first thing, one of the first praise songs that I learned was that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. Probably to this day, one of my favorite praise songs, just really theologically rich, I think, and, and comforting uh, in many ways. And so this might seem a little too simple, but I want to submit to all of us today that I think this is a foundational truth. Right? Isn't this really what the Christian life is all about? Uh, to walk with God and to know God's love and to dwell with him and to receive that love so that we might love him back and that we might love one another with that love. If you think about it, this sums up the moral law of God, to love God and to love one another. And we can't do that uh, if we don't know the love of God for us. And so it's really foundational uh, to everything that we do. The problem, however, is that we might know this to be true in the back of our minds, But there are times and seasons of life where we go through doubt, right? Where something happens where perhaps it's a suffering or a trial or a tribulation of sorts. And we question God. And we ask God, what are you doing? And, you know, does God really love me? Uh, I found this to be really true in the past year as I served as a children's hospital chaplain. You can imagine when a parent brings their child to the hospital... It can range anywhere from, let's say, just pneumonia and all the way to cancer. And as a chaplain, you, you try to walk with them and help them to process, you know, what they're, what they're feeling and, and what they're going through. And a lot of times, the questions that they have for me as a chaplain is, why is God doing this? You know, uh, why is he allowing my child to suffer? Why, why is he bringing this suffering to my family? Doesn't God love me? And you don't need to be in the hospital to ask these kind of questions, right? I think we've all asked these questions, whether you were sick or not. It's when trials and difficulties come in various ways, financial difficulties, problems at work, spousal problems, family issues, maybe even trouble here at church where something comes up, you don't know why, and you don't know what God is doing, and we might question, Lord, don't you love us? I thought you loved us. Right? Don't you love us? Now, as I try to process this with some parents in the hospital, oftentimes they'll say something like this. The reason why they think God is allowing this suffering to come is because I, as a parent, I made some wrong decisions and choices. Or to put it more bluntly, I sinned against the Lord. I displease God. I sinned against him. I rebelled against him. And so, 
He, he is punishing me. He is condemning me. He has rejected me. He feels so distant from me because, again, he is punishing the sin that I committed against him. And I think there are times, again, where we all feel like this, whether it's because of health problems or otherwise, when we feel because of our sin that the Lord has rejected us. He has turned his face away from us. He has condemned us. But what does God's word say? What does it say? Well, at least this morning, in our passage this morning, in verse 34, right in the middle, it says, I have loved you. I have loved you. I think there's a couple of ways we can take this. The first way being that the Lord has modeled for all of us how to love, right? That he has shown patience and kindness. He has taught his disciples, for instance, for three years. They have walked together and lived together. Right? He's shown them how to love. And so I think that's one way to take it. But I think another way to take it is sometimes that we sort of don't think about, actually, is that he has loved us. Or I like to think of it as he has always loved us, past tense. I think it's interesting. He doesn't say that I love you, therefore A, B, and C. But I think the emphasis here is on the fact that he has loved his people. One of my favorite quotes from a theologian comes from a guy named Voss. And he said this about God's love. He said, the reason God will never stop loving you is that he never began. It's one of those quotes where you have to kind of think about it a little bit, and the more you think about it, it kind of hurts your brain. But the reason why God will never stop is because he never began. In other words, he has loved you before time itself began. He has loved you before the creation of the world. He has loved you before you even existed. That in Christ, by faith alone, your status in him is secure. That he has loved you from even before there was a beginning. There is no beginning to this kind of love. And so that's why he says there is no end. It will never stop. There's nothing that we can do to where we can lose uh, the love of God. And I think the Lord is trying to comfort his people uh, with this uh, reality. To say that the pain is real. Okay, the, the trauma and the secondary trauma and the, and the trials and tribulations that we all go through, it, they are real and yet it is not to condemn. It is not to punish. Because truth be told, if it was, like we wouldn't even be here, right? We wouldn't exist because of our sin. You would just annihilate us. One of, the, one of my favorite verses on this is Romans 8.1. We all know this verse, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That our Lord Jesus marched to the cross willingly, and lovingly to die on that cross, to hang on that tree so that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins. And it's not just so much that he died some sort of physically horrendous death, which he did, but that rather he received the full weight and fury of the wrath of Almighty God. The holy and just anger of God poured out on Christ so that he was pummeled wave after wave with the wrath of God. So that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That he was condemned. That by faith alone we might be set free. That he took on all the condemnation. It's not that he took on like 90% of it and you have to work out the rest. 
He took it all on, all the condemnation. So that simply put, there is none left. So the pain we go through, it's real. But it's not to condemn. It's not to punish. There's a different reason for it. And I think for the context of this verse anyway, I think the reason is the comfort. I think the reason is to remind us of the great love of God. Uh, John 13, our verse today, it comes in a section of John um, that's called the Upper Room Discourse. It, it's it's uh, Jesus' final words before the cross. And what would Jesus say to his loved ones before he knows that he's going to die? If you knew you were going to die, what would your final words to your loved ones be? Well, for Jesus, it's very, very clear, actually. John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, it's, I love you. In fact, he says it so many times. I love you. I love you. I, lo- I have always loved you. He says it oh, like no less than five times. And if you include the actions that he does, like so, such as washing feet, and, I mean, probably like no less than eight times he demonstrates and he says, I love you. I have always loved you. You need not fear. Remain in my love. I will always be there. I will always love you. And I think he does this because he knows us so well. He knows us intimately. He knows what we need. He knows, for instance, that Peter will deny him three times. In fact, at the end of John chapter 13, which is our our passage today, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times. It's almost as if he has it in mind as he comforts and reminds them over and over again, I love you, I love you, I've always loved you. Because he knows something. He knows Peter well. He knows that there would be such guilt and shame as Peter denies and betrays Christ. Can you imagine the amount of guilt that he must have felt? That he sinned against the Lord. The Lord couldn't surely love him now. And yet, before it even happens, again and again, he comforts saying, I love you. Remain in my love. I have always loved you. And I think this is the word that the Lord wants us to hear as well. As we go through seasons of doubt and perhaps guilt and shame in our lives, the Lord does not condemn. The Lord loves you. Remain in his love. Go to him. Seek his face and go to him. Look above the fire and above the noise, above the waters, and look to Christ. Go to him and receive that love for yourself. I think I had to learn this um, the hard way in my life. I, uh, you know, as you know, uh, my wife Susan is here. Uh, we have three children, Olivia, Noah, and Ella. And it was Noah, actually, who uh, he had a lot of health problems. Uh, some of you know this. Uh, he was the one when Susan was carrying Noah. It was during her second trimester that we found out from the maternal fetal specialist that Noah had three different heart defects. And basically he said, uh, you should abort because he's going to have a really, really hard life. Uh, well, he was born. He was born at Northside, the baby factory, right? Every, every baby seems to be uh, born at Northside. But anyway, he was born, and then he, he was taken to Children's Hospital. When he was six days old, he received his first open-heart surgery. And I remember that day very, very vividly. It's like seared into my brain. 
went to the day surgery waiting room. I remember just what the room looked like, how brightly lit it was. I remember the smell in the room. I remember who was there. And I remember where I sat all the way in the back next to a big box of tissues because I needed it. I was crying for eight hours straight as he was in surgery, asking the very same questions that I mentioned before. God, why are you doing this? God, why, why is this suffering in our lives? God, don't you love us? I, Lord, I've been faithfully serving you, I thought. There are all these questions of doubt and, Lord, what are you doing? Uh, fast forward a couple of years, and we received the second traumatic news of our lives. And he's another open heart surgery when he's two years old. Again, the same questions. Right? God, what are you doing? God, don't you love us? Right? A lot of doubt. I think I learned a couple of lessons about God's love just from Noah's story. First, I think God is in the business of, uh, of redeeming. That yes, on the one hand, he's in the business of redeeming souls for salvation. We know this in the gospel. And yet, I think he's also in the business of redeeming stories and experiences. That we all have uh, situations in our lives that we wish we could expunge from our memories. Certain horrors and tragedies and suffering that we wished never happened. And, and this was one such story in our family's lives. And yet, what the Lord did, I think, was to use this to tug at my heart. To see that there were people suffering out there. And to tug at my heart and to say, and, and to actually lead me into exploring, you know, could hospital chaplains where you walk with people, right? Could this be something that the Lord might want me to do? To, to walk with parents who don't have the same stories, because we all have different stories. And yet people who are still struggling with emotions and doubt. And to process it together and to love them. God is in the business of redeeming stories. And I think we all have stories in our, in our lives, perhaps in the past, that we have struggled through. Even now, perhaps, you're going through something. What could God be doing in your life right now? Could God change and take something that we wish never had happened and yet use it for his glory and for the good of other people? Right? Seek the Lord. Ask him. It might be painful, and yet we go to the Lord by faith saying, Lord, you are in control. You know exactly what you're doing. I trust in you. God, use this for your glory. And yet the second thing I learned about God's love through Noah is I guess the intensity of God's love. I remember um, after the first surgery how I went, I, I was with Noah every day in the hospital. <laughs> I, I couldn't do anything medically, obviously, but I was there just trying to love him, trying to support him. Just trying to love him the best I could because I loved him so much. And yet I remember when we finally took him home, just how hard it was. He was too weak to suck on a bottle, so he was still on a feeding machine. He had an NG tube down his nose to feed him, and we had to replace the machine. Like every couple of hours, it would beep, and this noise would go off at like 2 in the morning. You wake up like, what's going on? And like, you know, I'm trying to change the machine. And, 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 and there are times when, when I did that, and I was just so frustrated. Like, it's like 2 in the morning. Like, do I have to do this again? A few months later, He's finally strong enough to suck on a bottle, and so it's like four in the morning, and I wake up, I'm trying to feed him, but he's, he's still crying. 
right? Is he hungry? Is it gas? Is it a wet diaper? I can't figure it out. And he's just, just, he just keeps crying and crying. And, and all I want to do is just to scream right back at him. Like, go to sleep. I have to wake up in like a couple of hours. What are we even doing here? Right? Maybe some parents can empathize with that. Maybe you're going through it right now. I love him so much, and yet, complaining spirit, complaining heart, right, tainted by sin. Even these days, as I'm trying to parent him and raise him, past several years, just how, how frustrating it can be. I mean, even just this past weekend, instead of parenting him out of love, parenting him out of anger, being frustrated with him. It makes me sad just thinking about it. Right? Just, just how sinful I am. Right, CCPC, are you sure you want me here? <laughs> I'm a sinful man. It was a hard weekend. And yet I'm reminded by the Lord that as much as I love Noah, it's so, it's so tainted by sin. So, so, so much complaining and frustration in my heart. But if, if I can love Noah like that, how much more can a holy and sinless heavenly father love him? And, and if he loves Noah like that, how much more does he love me? How much more does he love all of us? And you, you don't need to be a parent to know this. We all have people that we love and yet we fall short in our love whether it's our neighbors or, or church friends even, or whoever it is, we all fall short, but God loves us more. Heavenly Father, without sin, loves you. He has always loved you. Never began. And so we know it'll never end. But of course, there's a second part to today's verse. The second part is that we are to love one another. And uh, actually, you know what? This is the thrust of the verse. It's not even on what we just talked about. But the thrust of this verse is actually to love one another. That's the command. But we can't do this without the former. Right? To know God's love for us is necessary in order for us to really love one another. You know, if we're honest, I think we could all use a little bit of love these days, right? Isn't that true? Think back to the past few years, the world, we can all use a little bit of love. I mean, never mind the past few years, it's just the past few weeks. All the craziness and the violence and everything going on in, the, in our country, I mean, we can all use a little bit of love. Uh, but what is it, though? Right, what is it? How, how do we love? Uh, yesterday, uh, my wife Susan and I, we celebrated another uh, wedding anniversary. Uh, it's quick. <laughs> it's just every year it just goes by. I can't believe it. Um, I was thinking back to around the time when we got married. And about a week after we got married, uh, my father-in-law uh, said something really interesting. He said, in marriage, there are three rings. And I thought, okay, this, that's weird. Okay, what do you mean by that? First, he said, there is the engagement ring. I thought, okay, yeah, okay. Second, there is the wedding ring. Okay, true, true, true. What's the, what's the last one? Third, he said, 
there is suffering. And I was like, great. <laughs> I just married your daughter. Like, what's going on? Um, but he jokes around a lot. Pastor Young actually knows him well. They're in the same presbytery together. But he just jokes around a lot. But if you think about it, uh, there, I guess there's some truth to it, right? Um, maybe not suffering, or hopefully not suffering, right? But, uh, and, and not just in marriage, but in all love relationships, right? There, there's, like, difficulties. You know, we, you know, we fight, and there's, you know, things that come up. And it, it's hard. It's hard to love one another. But why is that? You know, why is it so hard? If it's so important, why is it so hard? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons, actually, why it's hard. But one of the reasons is, I think, we, we don't know what it is. Or, or we know what it is, but we forget. Okay? We forget. We say, on the one hand, that love is an emotion and a feeling, uh, which as a chaplain, as a pastor, I would affirm this. I think it's biblical, actually. When we think about the affections that God has for his people, the compassion and joy that he has for us, the singing over us that the book of Zephaniah says that he does, right, over us. I mean, it, there, is, there is deep feeling and, and affection in all these things, and I think the way we love one another can reflect that. The problem, though, of course, is that we reduce it to some sort of puppy love, right? So it's the feelings in our, in the gut of, you know, in our stomach that we have for each other, or it's the electricity that runs up our arms when we hold hands, or it's the, the feelings of gratitude that we have for our friends or coworkers when they do something nice, right? And that's all it is. Right? Of course, love includes these things. It's not less than these things, but it's far more than these things. Now, love is not just an emotion, actually, but it's action. And it's not just what you feel, but it's what you do. And pastors more well-versed in this than I, than I am have said things like that the action that we do, it's not just an action, but it's committing to act. That in marriage, for instance, you covenant so that you commit to love, regardless of how you feel. Because our emotions are up and down. They're all over the place. And even here at church, you covenant with one another in membership. In other words, you commit to act in love towards one another. I think one of the, one of the best passages on this is actually 1 Corinthians 13, the so-called love chapter in the Bible. The Apostle Paul says in verses 4 and onwards, things like love is patient, love is kind. Both things actually very, very active. Very, very active. Patience, which is the act really of waiting for one another. See, you have your pace, I have my pace, but I sacrifice for your sake. I, I might get irritated with your pace, I might get frustrated with your pace, but for your sake, I, I'll come alongside of you. We'll walk together. Kindness, you see, you have your preference, I have mine. But in kindness, I commit to look to your interests and not my own. I don't look to my preferences. How can I build you up? How can I make it so that you would draw closer to Christ? Right? We sacrifice. It's very, very active. I mean, the list goes on. Rejoicing with the truth, burying all things, believing. I mean, these are things that we do, not just what we feel. And we commit to doing these things for each other here at CCPC. Now, the reality, of course, and we have to be honest, is that this is really hard. It's really hard. I mean, next to impossible, some people would say. But why does God command 
something so hard, if not impossible. I think one of the reasons is so that we might come to an end of ourselves, that you might fall to your knees with your arms wide open and say, God, I cannot do this. In my own strength, this is really, I mean, I, I just don't have it within me. God, would you fill me so that I might love others? That we would in, indeed go to the source of love. Right? First John chapter 4, God is love. And so we go to him with our need and we ask him to fill us. One of the beautiful things about 1 Corinthians 13, yes, it perfectly describes love. But if you think about it, doesn't it perfectly describe God? It's not so much that love is patient and kind, but God is patient and kind. He is long-suffering towards us in our sin. In the depths of our sin, he he is patient. And and yes, he he sacrificed his preferences and interests for us, but he literally sacrificed himself on the cross for us. God is patient. God is kind. And so we go to him. We ask him to fill us with his love. So I guess really the question is, um, are we going? Are we dwelling with God? Are we remaining in him? Are we remaining in Christ, the true vine? Are we walking uh, with him? Are you receiving that, yes, the love is everlasting? You cannot earn it. You cannot perform for it. We simply go with our need, and we ask him to fill us with his love. And so are we going to him? A few weeks ago, um, I had lunch with uh, Pastor David. Some of you know who he is. He he preached here for our fifth uh, church anniversary, right? Uh, it was a couple months ago or so. Um, I had lunch with him, and towards the end of the lunch, uh, the conversation, I don't know how, but it shifted to fishing. He just sort of randomly started talking about fishing. And I was thinking about this, and uh, me personally, I, I don't know anything about fishing. Like, I don't know anything about fishing, but let's say, let's just say your friend loves to fish. Okay, your friend loves to fish. You don't know anything about fishing, but because you love your friend, you say, you know what, I'll go fishing with you. And you go, and it's, it, you're, you're just miserable. I mean, just the heat and the humidity and the smell and the fact that you're out there all day, you don't, you don't even get a single nibble. Right? You're just so frustrated, like, why am I here? Why, why am I doing this? But you go. Why? Because you love your friend. And you keep going. And over time, you, you notice, oh, wait a minute, I'm learning what this equipment is. I'm learning what this bait is. I'm learning the different kinds of fish. And, and maybe, just maybe, it turns from learning to appreciation to perhaps, after several fishing trips, you start to love fishing as well. Or let's say you don't know the first thing about football. But your spouse loves football. Your spouse loves football. And so you, you don't know anything about football. You don't know the difference between a pass interference and a first down. You don't know what the tuck rule is. Come on, no one knows what the tuck rule is. But you go to these games with your spouse. Why? Because your spouse loves football. And at first you have no clue what's going on. You, you, know, you, you clap when, when he claps. You jump in the air when he jumps in the air. You don't know what you're doing. But you go, and over time, perhaps, after several games, over several years, you start to learn the players and the plays and penalties and Maybe, just maybe, you too start to love the sport of football. Why? Because you love your spouse. And you want to go with your spouse. You want to be where he is. 
And I, I can't help but think that the same is true of God. All analogies when it comes to God, they, they fall short. Okay, I, I acknowledge that. But, but why can't it be similar to our relationship with God? That the way we know that we are walking with the Lord and that we are going to him is that very simply our loves start to change. That the things and the people that God loves, we start to love those things as well. That, that when we talk about the desires of our hearts, it's not that, you know, having desires are bad, but no, that we would desire what God desires. And the things and people that he loves. That the Lord, he loves, for instance, the poor and the marginalized and those on the outskirts of society and those who are alone and lonely and that perhaps our hearts would gravitate towards them. And that we would receive, because we receive the love of God and, and God loves those people. Or we find that the Lord, he loves justice and mercy and he loves the assembly of God's people and that we wouldn't forsake meeting together like this to meet with him and to worship, that God loves that. That our hearts would also love that as well. Why? Because God loves it. And we want to love what God loves, that he is surely changing us and conforming us more and more into the image of God's son. The more we walk with him, the more we become like him. So my encouragement, CCPC, this morning is really simple. Again, it's, it's a simple sort of rudimentary truth, some of you might think. But it's to know and to believe that the Lord has always loved you. And so remain in his love, receive that love. So that here at church and where we live and where we work and play, and we might be able to love one another as well. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray together. God, we love you. But Lord, thank you for loving us first. God, we confess that our love for you oftentimes is so weak. And Lord, there are times when we doubt, there are times when we struggle. But Lord, you are the faithful one. You never waver. And so, God, help us, Lord, each day to go to you with our need. Lord, just to simply ask, as children would, to our Heavenly Father, to fill us with your love and to meet with us. God, help us to love each other in the way that you have shown us. And God, as we continue to love one another here at CCPC, help us, Lord, to do it in such a way uh, that would make you happy and that would give glory to you and be a blessing to one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.